Are we ready? As long as you're ready with all your tabs, I Captain Tabs. do have all of the passages ready. Great. In your new revised standard version updated edition. Great. Okay. The first one, by the way, I think I told you 23 and 24. We can back that on up to 19 through 24. Oh my, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Back, back it, it on up. up. More text, baby. More text. <laughs> right. Always more text. No beheadings this time, though. So, bummer. No beheadings. <laughs> so far. Uh, yeah. <laughs> This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, I'm with L. Grover Fricks and Josh Bosset to draw our chairs closer to the fire of the accounts of women who may have been overlooked in the Hebrew Bible. Yay! Excellent introduction, L. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I had heard we were trying to pour through the thesaurus to find words other than survey and examine, so here you are. There's <laughs> a couple others in rotation, but there's only about four or five words that, you know, really work most of the time, so... There you go. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a great, I like this, it's a great I like this image. Advice. So yes, we're going to do a light survey, even though I just said I wouldn't use that word, um, spanning across Tanakh. And there are so many amazing women in Tanakh that we are just not going to have time for. Um, we've got a whole Romney-esque binder full of women that we could have poured through. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're, I've narrowed it down to a couple of things because we've kind of been highlighting roles this uh uh, this series. And so I'm excited. We're going to start off in Genesis 4, 19 through 24. Uh, but are we, are we far enough past the binders full of women reference that we need to like explain what that is? It, presidential election. <laughs> I'll, I'll put a link in the show. From 2012. <laughs> it was uh, only 2012. Man, know, that feels like a long time 11 ago. years ago. That's how, you know, we're not, we're not children. Uh, okay. I, I was lamenting that I did not make that joke at the end of last episode in L thankfully remembered that and brought it right back around for for us here so that's good you're welcome <laughs> okay uh so a little bit of context before uh brent reads verses 19 through 24 so there's two lemechs in the genealogies at the beginning of genesis um you can look at a little genealogy of um adam Google image to look at it. But so there's two. And that's important because their name means power or it's one of the words in Hebrew for power. And so it's kind of a metaphor about two different ways of using your power. So the one Lemech, who is Noach's dad, uses his power to cast hope and a blessing for the world and for his son and a new generation. And the other kind of Lemech, uh, the other kind of power is going to utilize his uh, in a different way. So, Brent, if you could read that for us. Okay, Genesis 4. Lamech married two women, one named Adah and the other Zillah. Adah gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zalah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. That was so great, Brent. I accidentally you... read the wrong version, though. <laughs> That's okay. Uh... L requested the new revised standard version, updated edition, and I lost my mind and read from the other column. Oh, well, how exciting for us. Uh, I was speaking about the fact that you with confidence just charged in on all of those names. You were saying fantastically incorrectly, yeah. but oh, yeah. you stated it well. You carried it with confidence. Well, we have looked at this passage many times for many reasons. So this is uh, kind of a familiar territory for Bama listeners and for my pronunciations that i have it's okay yeah a long life work on it i cannot make the sounds required to say some of these correctly <laughs> no right. i believe in you brent it's there I, I mean i'm sure i have the capacity with the right amount of training and practice but like 
at this point, my my physiology is not built for this. <laughs> Got to work out every day to say your eins. Yeah, uh, okay. yeah exactly. <laughs> so we do have an ayin in that first name. So it's Ada and Tila. Um, so first off, they've got these four kids. Um, they're presented as the sons of the women, by the way, not the sons of Lemech. Um, mm-hmm. And they're the original pastoralists, instrumentalists, metallurgists, metallurgists, metallurgists. I don't know. I, I don't know English. Metallurgists. Like, metallurgists. I got yeah. that one. Great. There we go. And vocalists. <laughs> um, so we've learned that these women are in charge of passing on the skills to their kiddos around the insula. Um, so in previous episodes. And so um, the text is kind of framing the women as being the originators of these arts and works of creativity in the Bible. And that stands out to me for two reasons. One, from a broader cultural perspective, gifts like music are usually given from polytheistic deities down to humans. Um, Mm. And in God's book, they are coming from women. So I think that's cool. Yeah. Um, That's crazy. Like going back to the idea that we've gone over this passage so many times. Right. Usually because of the seven and 77 thing. But that like, I mean, it's just so ridiculous that he would say that in the first place. And it overshadows all of these other details in the story. Right. Right. No, I mean, I think it's uh, very valid that our attention is drawn to the fact that he murdered a child. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So focusing on other details for a hot sec. So if you find it sketchy that they're the real originators, um, because you can say, well, it's their kids, um, not them. Uh, we can get some insight from their names. So at first glance, Ada means adorned or ornament. Um, and Sila, coming from Sidril, is one way of looking at that, means melody. It's an onomatopoeia for the tinkling of symbols, which you can kind of imagine with Tzlil. At least you can imagine it when you say it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sure they're up there in heaven just uh, enjoying. Okay, so Ada matches up with the pastoralism and metallurgy. Um Herds are often decorated, by the way, when we find um, Mm. like pictures of animals. They're not just like there. They have cute little, usually red decorations. Um, And then Sila matches the two musical arts, right? However, there's more there if we dig a little bit deeper on their names. So if we look at Ada again. Yes, it comes up with adornment and or adorned, which matches our kind of cultural idea of femininity, right? At least in the present and probably in the past as well. But if we look in Jesenius, which you can find in BLB, first off, you'll be rewarded um, for your work by the phrase, hence, booty, which I just think is great. You have to find the things that keep you going. Uh, uh-huh. So you're welcome. Uh, but also, we'll see that in Job, it's a word used to describe a lion advancing towards their prey. That Adda has to do with advancing. Um, and so Adda is not just Lemech's eye candy. She's an advancing, powerful predator overtaking something. Um mm-hmm. And so when we open up something so simple as the translations of these names, um, it invites us to look a little bit deeper at ourselves and the women around us in our lives, right? Is someone just a wife or a mom or an adornment for her husband, right? Or is she also an advancing lion? I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> and then what about Sila? So I said Slil, um, but Sila means uh, melody, but seal um, also means shadow. So yes, if we, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, that's the one we usually go for. Um, so seal we saw most recently when we're talking about being made in the shadow of God. Um, but if we think about shadows from non-biblical perspective, if we think about a woman named Shadow, we're like, oh, she must be really quiet or she follows Lemech or Ada around really closely um, and never does anything they don't tell her to do. However, the biblical image for Shadow is uh, it's a powerful image of protection, right? How many times mm-hmm. do the Psalms say, I take refuge in the shadow of the Most High? Um, yeah. Or shade. So, shade right. in the desert. Right. Exactly. Which are the same word shade and shadow there's also Mm -hmm. like the supernatural kind of shade and shadow that lives in Sha'ol, but that's a different conversation for a Mm -hmm. different time uh so these women are definitely more than one thing so whenever we're uh, tempted to stereotype 
uh, biblical women ourselves or the women around us, we can remember Adan Sila, that they might be quiet and there's nothing necessarily wrong with being quiet. Um, but maybe Tzila is also a fierce protector of her loved ones or Ada. Yes, she's beautiful, but maybe she's also, you know, a fearsome lion ready to track down her goals. To jump in there on the on the adornment and like predatory thing like that is something you see in nature like predators often have big uh uh, signs you have poisonous frogs or lion's manes like they a lot of times display that (laughs) right yeah in a in a spectacular way so you could even read the adornment as she's not necessarily adorning her husband but she is adorned with this attitude and this this presence right if that goes beyond just like oh she must like lots of jewelry um (laughs) It's potentially her ferocity, her fearsomeness. Um, And they're bringing something new and beautiful into the world, right? Because each of their kids is the originator of these different big parts of what it means to be human, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. But so that's the background. So back to the actual story again. Brent, can you read just verses 23 and 24? Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zalah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech, 77-fold. So Lamech is using his power to be a piece of garbage. (laughs) That's my graceful, lots of room for understanding. That's pretty graceful for murder. Right, murdering murdering a kid too, right? So uh, when I translate it, I say, my voice, wives of Lamech or women of Lamech, listen to my speech. I killed a man for bruising me, a child for welting me. So this is pretty random and awful it seems um like really cool boast my guy thanks thanks for sharing um but here's the thing in tanakh women are kind of like the celtic bards of the levant if we can borrow some european Mm -hmm. imagery and transpose it over (laughs) brent just did some um, acrobatics with his eyebrows so (laughs) wait just one moment uh but when we have our eyes open to see it it's all through the text we've got miriam the prophetess singing the song of the sea after this big battle um we've got the women singing about king david when he returns from battle we've got devorah singing this big song um after yael kills cesaro uh and so it's this pattern throughout the text of um something big happens and then these women weave together history right the poetic facts of what happened with Mm -hmm. theology where was god and all of it and then they lead their community through the processing of grief and violence um which, by the way, um, at least my church background was a space where women aren't allowed to do anything theological, but we were allowed to sing hymns written by women. Mm-hmm. Just like worship music is pretty inherently theological. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we see that certainly in those three, or at least Miriam and Deborah's songs. You can go back and look at them. Um, but this bard-like job, which of course doesn't, it's not a one-to-one comparison, but uh, it's the closest thing that might be familiar to us. Um, so this job can extend beyond just the summary afterward. Uh, you know, I love those contemporary texts that are extra canonical. So in Third Maccabees and the mm. and in contemporary historical accounts there's this queen named arsinoe and she goes full aragorn and return the king it's like (laughs) the courage of men may fail but not this day um and she goes out before the troops when this battle isn't going well uh and it says that her locks were disheveled and she exhorted them to defend themselves and their children and their wives bravely and promised them this extravagant reward um from her treasury if they win the battle She's a very Queen Elizabeth I at Tilbury yelling, like, let the tyrants fear before the troops. Um, So there's this context that the original recipients of the text would be used to of the men come and tell the women what happened on the battlefield. And they're expected that they're going to weave together this um, beautiful, Mm. exalting, epic you know, song or saga, exalting them and praising them. And so all Lemech gets in response to telling them that he defended his honor and the honor of his name by killing a kid is silence. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And I find that to be very heartening because we're not all Queen Elizabeth or Arsenault. We don't all have extraordinary power to change things in our families or churches or communities. But we have more power than we think. Um, and here, Ada and Sila exercise their power through silence. Um, maybe mm. they're in a semi-abusive environment. Lemech doesn't sound that like grounded to me. <laughs> not right. like a really safe guy. Uh <laughs> And maybe they felt like they didn't have the opportunity or safety to stand up and say, that's wrong. You shouldn't have killed that guy, even though I know that Midrash says it was an accident and all this stuff. <laughs> yes. But they do still exercise this noncompliance. So maybe we can't transform our family culture or our community or a church from the inside out by standing up and yelling at the elder board or whatever. But maybe mm -hmm. we don't have to um, if we don't have the ability to be a Vashti, right, and walk out. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe there's other areas that you can exercise or that we can exercise Ada and Sila's courage and tenacity just by saying no. Um, yeah. I'm not going to go do that thing I'm asked to do. I don't think I've ever considered this this particular song as being composed by Ada and Sila. Like that, that is a new idea to me and that, that brings up a lot of interesting things I, I i think it's really interesting too that the they are specifically named as like the intended recipients of mm -hmm. the lemech's message to them right right um and w what's also interesting to me and i would love for you to talk about this like the uh, obviously uh, a kid was killed in this over mm -hmm. some conflict um so tell me about the difference so the Originally used the word ish, man, which generally seems to refer to adults. Um, although then you have other words like na'ar, which might, uh, you know, be talking about a young man. But when they, when he gets to the child part, he just says child, like, like use the word yelled, which is like the, like, a, Kid. A, yeah, exactly. Like someone who is born, like it's also the verb for to, to give birth. So it, right. There, it seems like there's a little bit of a dissonance there. Is that maybe, is that maybe them saying like he is putting on as if he fought another person as if they were a man, but in reality they were a child. Do you think there's like them kind of putting that tension in the song? Um, I think there's two possibilities there. I think that repetition, um, when you zoom in a little bit closer on the second repetition is a frequent poetic structure in Hebrew, mm -hmm. right? The wise man shall do this and the understanding one shall do that, right? In the Proverbs, mm -hmm. that kind of setup we have all the time. And so it could be, um, it could be that kind of lead in where they're saying you killed an ish, a man for striking you. That seems like an overreaction, right? And mm -hmm. then you zoom in closer. It's worse than you thought now that you already have the buy-in from the audience. It's actually <laughs> that a child, mm -hmm. and he didn't even strike you. He welted you, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's possible. But, you know, it could also be more... Uh, just chronological, right? Like mm -hmm. first I killed a, 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 a man and then his kid jumped in there. So I killed him too. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's a, that's a vivid picture. Right. Well, oh yeah. Well, I didn't even think about them being related necessarily, but that's an interesting point too. But I think I've always, yeah, I think I've always just considered it as like, oh, I'm just going down the line and doing whatever. Um, but all of the translations I'm looking at here, use young man, which makes me think teenager, which might be too old on its own anyway. Yeah, that's um, annoying to me. Uh, <laughs> well, because and the NET footnote, like, no, there's there's no other, like, notation. Um, but in the NET, they actually have a footnote on it. So the Hebrew term, which they, so they say it's yeled, mm -hmm. probably refers to a youthful warrior here, not a child. And that is all there is to wow. the note with no explanation. But apparently, mm. like, that is so, that is so well considered that the other translations don't even bother with a footnote. Uh, yeah. So, wow. Okay, NET. So the, right. the spectrum <laughs> of ages as an infant is a tinuk, and that's an onomatopoeia for the sound of nursing. Mm. Mm. 
Uh, and then you've got, you're welcome for that audio that you don't get to try to balance out somewhere. Um, and <laughs> It'll then be fine. Have, It'll be fine. Great. Glad to hear it. And then you have a toff, which is a toddler, which is also an onomatopoeia for the sound that a toddler makes scuffing around the house. Tough, 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 which I think is adorable. And that then really is adorable. Right? And then you get a yelled, who is a child. And then after that, uh, as a teenager, then you get a nar. So if it was, a, you know, a youthful warrior or whatever, it would 100% be nar. And nar is also a onomatopoeia for the sound that a uh, lion makes when it's shaking out its mane. Um, mm. So, you know, all of that teenage angst yeah. uh, is built in <laughs> in the word. And then after and this would that, be you have prior to the time of bar mitzvahs. Right. So that's a bit of an interpolation from rabbinic era, right? Because we didn't have right. bath and bar mitzvahs. Okay. But that's the idea. Somewhere around teenagerhood, um, you become an odd. So we're talking like age three or four up to like post toddler um well you have to bump things back a bit because uh infants are nursing for a lot longer because of nutritional deficiencies oh so mm. they're probably up to three which makes a toddler you know three or four and then a child five five through i don't know 15 i don't know sure okay yeah and I, yeah i keep returning to that image you said of like you know he gets in this petty fight with a guy completely overreacts and then like his 10 year old kid comes out and right yeah that's 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 devastating Heroin. well yeah and what how did you say you translated the word for what the child does to lamech welting he welted me welting mm -hmm. yeah so that's i mean yeah i don't know niv says injuring net says hurting NRSV says striking, but yeah, in, in my I, I am, Jewish like translation if, here, it says bruise. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I think regardless, if, if these two people are related, that makes way more sense where Lamech comes in and kills this guy's dad. Right. For no apparent reason. Um, well, I mean, for maybe for some kind of reason, but honor, like, probably, yeah seems to be what he's saying but then if mm. if there's this young child who doesn't really understand what's going on anyway right like i would like you you could see a kid running up to some guy and thinking like oh i'm gonna going get to back at him or right. whatever like i could totally see that and then lamech's like no fine i'll just kill you too whatever right mm -hmm. so exacerbating the horror of what's happening here uh, and really underlining Adan Sila's uprightness and saying, nope, I'm not going to write a song about how great you are. Yeah. Um, and just responding in silence. Um, but yeah, probably over the honor of who he is, right? Because of verse 24, um, he's, he's saying nobody can do anything against the name of, of Lamech and Cain, mm -hmm. uh, which of course will escalate into the Tower of Babel story. But that's a yeah. different episode for a different time. <laughs> and I, this may have to get it out because I have, I have two questions or observations about, and they may take us away from the direction we're heading. Throw the them out. One, we're already so far <laughs> off the path. The, the first one is, you know, here we are, uh, you know, seven generations after Cain, we have a kid named, uh, you know, Tuval Cain, mm -hmm. and uh, and he's making like implements of metal. Like that, just image wise, it, it seems very sketchy to me. <laughs> uh, like, especially because, um, as I understand it, uh, the name like Tuval, it would be like the the um, like the the flowing of a river. Yep. Right. So it's like this is the. Uh, uh, the natural like outflow of Cain's lineage right. um, kind of perfected, you know, seventh generation in, right. in this person making. And I think the literal Hebrew there is like a sharpening metal implements or cutting mm -hmm. implements or something. Mm -hmm. um, so that to me feels like a red flag. I, you know, we're supposed to record a thing together on Cain, so I don't want to <laughs> upset true. my true. teaching, but I'm definitely team Cain gets redemption. Um, and so yes. I want to imagine good things here for Tuval Cain. Um, Love that. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Second, second thing you want to throw out? The second one. Now this is, this is looking backwards because this is coming from Jesus's reference to this and connecting this to forgiveness. And okay. 
when I saw this, now this was without me thinking that this poem is a uh, song is being composed by Adantila. Uh, I heard this and I said, okay, they're, they're being included in the text of the song itself. Mm-hmm. And we have potentially a, you know, a double homicide, two objects of that. Did Lamech kill two of his own sons, which also right. the rabbis kind of attest to a little bit. And, yeah. and is there silence both not just a condemnation, but a, a silence in the face of their own children being mm. killed. And especially with what you brought up with the other Lamech, where we have Noah preserving future generations, right? like how powerful of an inverse being like murdering his own progeny. Right. I really like that parallelism as a parent. I really hope that's not true. Um, yeah. And my question, I guess, would be why it doesn't say that he killed Naama or Tuvat Cain or, or whatever, you know, if that was what happened. Mm-hmm. Why didn't he say my son would be my only pushback there. But it could be. Right. I love it. Could be. Okay. Let's press on. We've been inspired by Ada and Tzila. Um, There's more to them than meets the eye, um, as well as so many other women that we know. Um, and we're going to look at Leah. Leah has a hard time in our Christian Midrash. Um, lots of comparison to cows, right? <laughs> she has a hard time in Jewish Midrash, too, sometimes. But um, so... Brent, could you read Genesis 29, 16 through 17 for me in the RSV, please? RSV? Redemption round. NRSV UE? I don't really care about the UE part. I'm just excited about ecumenicism, (laughs) but go ahead. Uh, Now, Levon had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Raquel. Leah's eyes were weak. But Raquel was graceful and beautiful. Okay. So a lot of rudeness there in that translation, <laughs> even though I am team RSV. So it actually. You should see the Jesus Storybook Bible. Oh, boy. It's like, <laughs> Leah, she ugly. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Oh my wow. Gosh. Well, you know, representation, but it doesn't say those things. So here's my translation. Um, uh, I am rendering it for evidence-based reasons, not just because I'm trying to be nice. Levan had two daughters. The name of the greater, ding, 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 the greater was mm-hmm. Leah, which means weary. And then the name of the smaller was Rachel. And the eyes of Leah were tender and gentle, leaving the Rachel part off because that's not what we're looking at. So her name means weary. Um, it's used previously for the violent men beating at the door of Lot's house in Genesis 19. Mm. And then the part about her eyes, which I think I was raised with the translation that says like that they were like cows. Um, <laughs> it's the word that's used to describe the posture of children and toddlers and young animals. So mm. to be like, they're weak. It's like, well, that's that's a heck of a way to describe a toddler. Yeah, technically true, but maybe not. I, I said <laughs> maybe not the point. <laughs> yeah. Miracle of miracles. NET gets it. They, hey, they say tender. Hey, you mm-hmm. know, we're, we're fighting for you, NET. I don't know why, but we no. are. <laughs> but yeah, you don't look at an adorable, fluffy baby cow and say like, weak. Um, <laughs> or at least I don't. So she's just tired. Um, raise your hand mm. if you relate. Um, she's mm. not a cow. Yep. <laughs> she is kind of, uh, I imagine that to be kind eyes, you know, the way a trusting toddler looks at you, like you're everything, um, yeah. total belief in you. Um, so just clearing out the misogynist air for a minute there. Um, and it actually doesn't say she's older, right? It says she's greater. There is a word for older and it doesn't say that. Um, Mm. so more on that in a minute, but Brent Billings, can you summarize the story of what happens between Yaakov and Levan and Leah and Rachel just in general in chapter 29? Remind us. Jacob wants Rachel and... Then says, you know, makes an agreement where he works for seven years Mm -hmm. and then assumes he's going to get Rachel. And then that whole thing goes down and wakes up the next morning and he didn't get Rachel. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, oh, no, well, I'll work some more and get Rachel for real this time. I'm going to set aside the get imagery there that you <laughs> utilized a few times. Uh, yeah, great. Okay. I mean, that is what's happening for them, right? 
perhaps kind of uh captain uh primitivist over there <laughs> can, can you uh mm. read verse 26 again what does lavan say when yaakov says why have you deceived me i worked for Achel for this many years lavan said this is not done in our country giving the younger before the firstborn right ding, mm-hmm. ding, ding. so very totally different words <laughs> yeah, yeah. So very exciting, at least to me. It doesn't say younger and elder. If you look at the BL, not the BLB, the Bible Hub, like rendering of all the different translations, about half of the crowd goes with the older and half goes with the firstborn. But it says the firstborn. And what's our word for firstborn? Behor. Yeah. And here it's the feminine. It's lifne before ha bechira. So the female firstborn. Um, the firstborn, right? The firstborn, the bechor is a huge is a huge thing. They're the person with a calling. Um, that's how Jesus is described as the person who's tasked with carrying on the legacy and the calling and the honor of the patriarch. They're going to replace the patriarch of the family when the first patriarch dies. They receive the double portion. Um, it's a huge role. And we um, so often transplant our own ideas about primogeniture onto the text and presume, mm-hmm. well, there would never be a, a woman in that job. It would just be like the oldest guy, right? Um, but here, Levon, who's not even, you know, our model for holiness in the world, <laughs> I think, boy, who do I want to aspire to be like? Levon isn't on that list. Um, but he claims um, very clearly that Leah is his Bechor, and he blames Yaakov for not honoring her. So it's not mm-hmm. just about, like, Yaakov breaking the rules and Levon being a sneaky trickster, which I still think that he is, but it's not necessarily just about, hey, I wanted to pass off both of my da- daughters, ha It's saying, no, no, Leah is the firstborn, and you haven't recognized her Bechor status, and it's dishonoring that you would ignore her, and so I'm making sure that you pay honor to her as my firstborn. It's a big deal. Like Jesus is God's firstborn um, mm-hmm. by marrying her first, which is very exciting. And to, and to that point about, uh, you know, reading primogeniture into the text, like, you mm-hmm. know, the, the daughters of Tzolofchad have, uh, have a few words to say to you too. You know, they, right? they, uh, they got Moshe to change the Torah for them for that very reason. Right. Well, do they change the Torah? Because in Exodus 13, God tells Moshe, whatever first breaks forth from the womb, which again, by the way, Strong says, opens the matrix. So it's <laughs> <so> always <laughs> great things to find. Um, that should be the name of the fifth movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only it's just about the miracle of birth. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, big Keanu Reeves fan over at Strong. Um, okay. But then in the same chapter in verse 12, so again, God tells Moshe, whatever first breaks forth from the womb um, is to be consecrated to me as Bechor. And then Moshe trots down the mountain and starts talking to all the people. And he adds a line in verse 12. He says, whatever breaks forth from the womb, commas, the zachrim, the males, they shall be consecrated to Yahweh. So Moshe, I'm hoping it was an accident, you know, he's just transposing his own culture into the text uh, and not realizing that he's adding to what God said. But, you know, that's why the text says God said this and then Moshe says this and then God says this and then Moshe says this. So we can pay attention and know when he's going off script. So the preference of males is not in God's original design, um, and it was added. Yeah, so thank you for correcting me. The daughters of Tzolofchad were restoring Torah. They right, were there we go. revealing it even to Moshe, no less. That's uh, Not a lot of people have that on their resume. <laughs> right, right. They're, they're even cooler now. Yeah. A, <laughs> has a kind of energy like uh, in, in that episode in the new season of The Chosen where Jesus is like, I am Torah and walks out <laughs> uh, only they don't say Tarad, but you know we know we know that's what he meant we, know. we haven't we, we haven't know. quite got there yet but uh you know if oh, you have opinions well, maybe we'll have to get you on that episode oh boy i i do have opinions i don't know that everyone needs to hear them though <laughs> um okay so 
we're getting we're we're dialing up our spiciness here so we're we're about to wade in further um are we moving past this story yes do okay. you have extra things uh, you want to well put I, in? I was yeah. just wanted to confirm if when jacob says uh to levon i will serve you seven years for your younger daughter rachel which verse is uh that is verse 18 is that that same word that was used previously and, on, and later. No, it says your little one. Your little one. Mm-hmm. Mm. So different word entirely. Mm-hmm. So is Jacob like trying to ignore the realities of their birth order or what? Why would he why would he use a different term? Well, I mean, I think I think anyway that the text is kind of showing this romantic, hopefully, um, mm-hmm. telling of Yaakov meeting Rachel. I hope she received it as romantic and not. Um, <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think that kind of fits with he doesn't he feels to me, especially at this point of the story, is a kind of off the cuff. Yep. Sounds good, mom. Let's, let's do that. Let's go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's <laughs> fallen in love with this woman and he's like, yep, I'm just going to work for her. Don't worry about it. I don't have money, um, you mm-hmm. know, to provide the um, bride price. And so I'm certainly not going to try to get both. Um, so I think that's a bit what's happening. So Lavon is actually upholding order here into the chaos of Yaakov's <laughs> choices. Yeah, Yaakov is definitely chaotic. Yeah. Um, I feel like I have 10 more questions, but maybe we should just move <laughs> on to the next the I, next I have, passage and we I have can one come thing back. I, Go ahead. I have one thing I really want to emphasize here, which is like the tension between what you talked about with these, these two observations about Leah, which, you know, weary, but then man still having the the gentleness like in your eyes <laughs> like mm-hmm. that uh that speaks to a lot of her character and um and i think when we consider like she is the mother of half of the tribes of israel right. uh, including including levi and and yehuda like that's right. i think we and especially with god seeing her specifically i think i think we see maybe um uh, to, to call back to another story, like maybe, uh, someone who should have been, uh, treated like Sarah was, but was overlooked. Right. Uh, more, more reverence. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's weird that we render that whole passage and we're like, oh, the women are fighting again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's about it. And then we decide that Rachel is probably hotter and Leah is probably like a cow. And so and that's all we think about. It's like, well. We're not helped by those translations. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Seriously, somebody, somebody, like we could do a whole episode on that, on that one little passage, I think. Yeah, I, I really I feel oh, my heart, my heart's aching that we're moving past Leah, but I'm excited uh, for where we're going next. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can have a, we can have an episode on the future all about restoring Leah to her honored, mm. her honored spot. But right now, just pointing out she was the Bechor, and that means that women could, can be Bechors, and it's just uh, Moshe's fault for obscuring that. <laughs> All right. So Exodus 38, 38, um, this passage where we're encroaching into Yehoshua's uh, uh, material here, which I believe is to come in the chronology of when these episodes come out. But oh, we're this s- is beyond what, what he's covering, I believe. Yes, okay. this is. Yeah, we're, we're just covering the uh the instructions given on the mountain oh gotcha gotcha goes to show how many of those pdfs i i've carefully studied i apologize <laughs> um i'm looking forward to it truly you're gonna have to oh, you yes. have to block out some time on your calendar for those episodes in fact we'll be talking about the wash basin Ooh, oh, ooh, well, great if you haven't if you haven't recorded it already, maybe maybe this will show up. Okay, mm-hmm. so in Exodus thirty eight, we're talking about how we set up and run the tabernacle. Um, so can you read that verse for us, Brent? Before I, oh man, I've gotta gotta take some deep breaths for this for this teaching. <laughs> okay, uh, thirty eight verse eight. He made the. Uh, I don't know who he is in this case. He, who's, who's doing this? I would assume this is Moshe, yes. Uh, 
I closed out all my tabs. So <laughs> just to say. Well, I'll look into that after I read it. Okay. Uh, NIV says they made. Anyway, he made the basin of bronze with its stand of bronze from the mirrors of the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Okay. Uh, so again, if you look at the whole list of different ways that people translate this section, this is me tempering my spirit here. That's the big sigh. You just stir this. All right. It's going to be okay. Um, it's women serving. It's women ministering, maybe. Um, oh boy. So the word for serve, avad, right, comes up all the time in Exodus. The word for minister, sharat, um, also shows up all the time when we're talking mm-hmm. about the priest, the koamim, the way that they attend to God um, has to do with like being a waiter. Um, so to be a priest is like to be a waiter upon God and upon his people. That is not this word. This mm-hmm. word <laughs> is the word tzaba. And um, if you grew up, you know, singing all my Haiti fortresses are God or you have a particular um, translation of your Bible, you're familiar with it because your text will say Adonai Tzavaot or Lord of Hosts or the Sabaoth, right? Um, Those are all transliterations of this word. And if you pull it up in a concordance, it is incredibly clear. Tzavaoth is an army. It's always an army. Host just means army. Um, We've kind of, you know, missed that maybe in the old English there that we've kept. But all through the text, Genesis 21, um, at that time, the commander of the Tzava, the army, said to Abraham, um, Genesis 26, Avimelech went with him uh, and the commander of his Tzava, his army. Uh, Exodus 7, Pharaoh won't listen to you. Um, Then I will lay my hand upon Mitzrayim and bring forth my army, uh, etc. If you look down this list, how many times has it used? Uh, 486 times. Army, <laughs> army, 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 army. Warriors. Pure militaristic term. <laughs> pure. Absolutely. And then for whatever, I say whatever reason, like I don't know the reason, but we get to this first and we're like, oh, they're not, they're, they're not warriors. They're not part of the army. They're just ministers or they're just servants. Mm. They're serving women. <laughs> they probably just have like the refreshments and the cookies and they're standing there saying, hi, welcome to the tabernacle. No. <laughs> no. Ah, okay. Okay, so at uh, they're they're there at the door, the opening. It doesn't actually say door; it says the opening to the tent. Um, and they are described, um, in case you missed it, in my you know dialed down fury here. It's <laughs> ha tzavaot the uh, so it has this feminine ending on this word for military figures, for warriors, for um, an army. Uh, Mm -hmm. and we know that that continued to be a thing because they show up in, uh, for Samuel, right? Uh, they're having Mm -hmm. some problem with Ellie's sons there. But, um, so throughout the text from Torah, through the narrative, these women are there and they've been stripped of their identity by super frustrating, uh, translation. (laughs) (sighs) So that's the first thing. So hold on. We have warrior women at the entrance to the tent. That's a whole thing for us to um, grapple with about the fact that they existed in general. But then secondly, it says that they have mirrors, um, right? Because it was from Mm -hmm. their mirrors that they made the wash basin, the laver, whatever. (laughs) Um, And... Oh, uh, Josh knows, Josh knows there's a great, <laughs> when I say great, I'm being facetious as I can, um, Midrash about these women in their mirrors because, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and also because the Jewish people have, you know, the Hebrew, they know that it says army. And so they combine the mirrors with the army to talk about, you know, Ugh, women in Egypt using the mirrors to seduce the men so that they could raise up an army because, you know, that's what women are good for. They're not actual warriors. <laughs> They're just there to seduce people. Got to watch mm-hmm. out for them. And so um, that means they're really vain. And in the Midrash, Moshe threatens to, like, break their legs 
which wild choice. And God says, no, no, no. Um, they still have to sacrifice their mirrors, but like it was good because it's good to seduce God's people. If it means that I get an army. So not my favorite midrash, just letting you know, if you're not familiar, uh, there's a whole lot of different kinds of midrashim out there and they're not all like beautiful and revelatory. Yes. As, as much as we are fans of the rabbis and their insights, they, they do not bat a thousand. They don't. Uh, there's, there's criticisms to be had if you can believe it. Right. Well, and I think this is pretty well illustrated, um, throughout our podcast, but maybe especially so in, um, episode we did on Noah talking about the whether it's castration or whatever uh, that would be episode 209 and you know the the possibilities just presented there are mutually exclusive so uh, or potentially so anyway so yeah I, I think people are are not are surprised familiar. that Midrash can be you know sketch Yes, not not and not just sketch, but just like different. There will be different midrash that have conflicting ideas about the same thing. Even absolutely. So. Sure, yeah. uh, okay, so what is happening here? Um, in my opinion, of course, bringing all my biases to the table that that's not what's happening in the story. Um, I would posit that it's even less likely because mirrors in the Bronze Age are not that clear. Um, it's not mm-hmm. going to help you put on your liquid eyeliner. Um, but they only show you a smoky, kind of hazy version of yourself. So that interpretation is extra stupid and annoying, in my opinion. So no, not even good in like a Saving Private Ryan sense where you're looking around the corner. <laughs> well, in you know, battle. you know, snipers are a big yeah. problem back then. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. But we're going to get to that. So two big uses of mirrors, especially bronze mirrors. One is divination. Um, so you can do a tea leaves type of situation where you're like, oh with a bunch of incense and, you know, possibly other things involved um, saying, what do I see in the mirror? And so that makes sense that God would want to get rid of those. But on the other hand, I'm, you know, usually there's a pretty clear commandment from God that says don't practice divination when it comes up. And that's not mentioned here. I don't know why these warrior women would have, um, you know, divination tools with them. But like you said, for those you know, those dastardly snipers. <laughs> no, but there is another reason that you have mirrors. Um, if you're in the field, you want to use them. Um, not so much for, for starting fires if they're bronze, because you want an obsidian one for that. Um, because it's easier to make an obsidian, obsidian mirror parabolic. Um, we have those, uh, at, these famous archaeological sites. But anyway, a copper mirror is pretty much going to be good for signaling. So if you have a force, it goes ahead. Maybe these women are scouts. Maybe they take their troop and go out and see what's going on. They need to be able to fight in case you run into, you know, Egyptians, Philistines, whatever it might be. And so you have signaling mirrors with you. So um, it's not like that they're so vain or dastardly divinators that um, God, it's like, lay down your mirrors. But Mm. rather, God recognizes is yes you have these great skills and uh yes you have these tools but you're not necessarily going to need that tool because you're not going outside of the camp anymore because you have a new special role involved Mm -hmm. in um god's people's worship and the maintaining of his house right and that they're apparently guarding maybe the entrance to the tent uh and so their skills and possessions are lent over for use by god which is a positive thing. Um, Amazing what things can open up when we don't obscure the heck out of what's actually going on in the verse. (laughs) Well, the entity does sort of like saddle up to the idea Uh, in the footnote. It says the word for service, not the ordinary one. It means to serve in a host, especially in a war. Okay. So they're, they're, you know, they're coming alongside barking up the wrong tree. And just to follow up on what I said earlier, the he in this verse, um, as far as the text is concerned, is explicitly Bezalel. I'm assuming the NIV is oh. saying they because it seems a little silly oh, because his his name does not appear uh, until all the way back at the beginning of Exodus 37. So I think I think maybe they're assuming like this is a little bit silly for one person p- to be doing all this stuff. But interesting, as far as the text explicitly saying this is Bezalel doing right. the work here. It's singular oh. masculine, so it is definitely he made. 
But what were you going to say, Josh? Oh, just uh, I mean, he's a uh, he's both going to be a very uh, uh, central figure in some of the chapters you and I are going to be covering, but also Woo-hoo. just uh, his his name shares uh, shares that root cell with uh, Tzila. Right, a reference to shadow in the shadow of in the shadow of L. There's a reason I go by my full name, which is Ellen in Israel. Uh, I do not go by God. (laughs) Hello, what's your name? The Lord. Uh, That's not what I do. I should have made that joke. Uh, Yeah, the moment passed. Alas, okay. The point here. Folks, bad, misleading translations lead to bad interpretations, which lead to bad imaginations about women's roles and what they're supposed to be. And when we slap the word biblical over it, especially so right then, because we're imagining that our bad interpretation is authoritative. Um, So here we have women serving in the military, not just as medics or food servers or whatever. Um, That's a different Mm -hmm. word. Um, So it's time to recalibrate our biblical compasses about what women were up to. Uh, And that brings us to our last passage that we're going to look at together. Um, So before we read the exact verse, you know, I've been having Brent do some summary. So Josh, do you want to summarize what's going on in Isaiah 40? (laughs) You know, give me an easy one. We have some some stuff going on that we might be familiar with. We have a, uh, a voice of one calling out, making the way for the Lord. We mm-hmm. have uh, some very familiar language to us um, uh, about uh, the uh, spreading of a message of, uh, you know, later in the New Testament will be cast in terms of kingdom and uh, John and Jesus. Um, and that... Uh, I don't exactly know where I should land this because there's just so much here. But yeah, there's there's a lot. We've got the yeah. comfort, comfort my people, cried yes, out that her warfare has ended. Which, by the way, warfare. What's that word? Oh, it's Saba. <laughs> Fascinating. Not my ministry has ended. Weird. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay. And this <laughs> message of what's now coming. What is God calling out to us? And and there's a, a, a huge emphasis on this this messenger image, this voice image. Right. Uh, it's God speaking to a messenger, and this is what you're to say. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, looking at that, zooming in then on verse 9, with all those things in mind, uh, Brent, can you read verse 9 of Isaiah 40 for us? Uh, you want the RSV in this one? <laughs> I actually, I, I'm amused by this. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Yehuda, here is your God. Get you up. <laughs> sure, why not? I really I love like it. that, yeah. <laughs> get up. Get, um, get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, it says, Al, so that's like our word for ascending. So mm-hmm. ascend to the mountain might be confusing. Like, are we floating? What's happening? Um, okay, so where's the woman in that passage, right? Um, get up yeah. on the mountain, mm-hmm. you. Um, lift in power, by the way. Koach is, um, in my yes. opinion, better translated power than strength. Um, your voice. And then again, this word, uh, if you look across translations, some people go with heralds, some people go uh, with messengers. Um, and in the Hebrew, the root there is Bashar. Um, and uh, friend, what? how would you describe an evangelist in the New Testament? An evangelist? Yeah. What's, you know, when we think from our cultural definition, what, what does an evangelist do? Well, I, maybe I think of Paul, like going into a city and like preaching to a big crowd on. Sure. Uh, and he's spreading the. The good news. The good news. And what's that word? What's the gospel good news? What does that reference in the Greco-Roman and Mediterranean world? The, the coming of a new kingdom. Right, right. We've got big news. A new kingdom is in town. You guys need to know you now belong to Ptolemy's kingdom, right? So this word, Bashar, um, is used in the same way throughout uh, the text. So 1 Samuel, 
Um, Mm -hmm. It says that this messenger, this evangelist, this person spreading the gospel, this herald answered and said, um, Israel has fled before the Philistines. There's been a great slaughter among the people. Oh, no, these people are dead. Um, It continues like that. Uh, Second Samuel one, tell it not in Gath, publish it um, not in the streets of Ashkelon, um, lest they rejoice. So we're always telling the news of what's happening. Second Samuel four, behold, Shaul is dead, um, thinking to have brought good tidings, right? The we we thought that there would be good news here, but instead Shaul has been killed, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's this um, military, something has happened, whether good or bad, but um, about a kingdom um, in, in these passages, it's usually the kingdom of uh, the Pilishtim instead. But it shows up throughout the text. And now here in this um, context where we think a herald of a new kingdom, someone who God is speaking to and telling what they're supposed to preach to Israel, um, it's that same word, this Bashar word specifically, uh, and it has that t on the end because this is a female mm-hmm. Uh, a female herald, a female evangelist, a female spreader of good news and good tidings. Um, and so this whole chapter potentially is speaking to a female figure of Zion who is supposed to go and do these things and share this message. Um, mm-hmm. Bashar there, by the way, the, the root has to do with flesh and the redness of flesh. And so um, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Cause I'm like, Bashar, I, I, I remember where else that's used. <laughs> Different right, connotation. Yeah, weird. <laughs> um, it's because, uh, that word, as so many others do, have, have to do with redness. And so it's ah, when you bring good tidings. Running. Well, maybe. Um, I'm thinking, though, when you bring good news and good tidings, it brings life to people's face, right? Because redness uh, and blood mm-hmm. has to do with the life. So when you're sharing good news, people are coming to life like, what? We won the battle. That's amazing. I'm so glad. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, the gospel always brings life, right? So here mm-hmm. is Mebasheret. Uh, we have our first female evangelist all the way back in Tanakh, um, which is going to set us up so nicely um, to see how that works out in, in the New Testament. But when I sent these verses to Brent and Josh, Josh responded, oh, man, 40 verse 9. That's so huge. There's so many things. So <laughs> what, what's your take, Josh? The The very first thing, I mean, especially when, you know, knowing that the, the first chunk of this text in Isaiah 40, when we think voice in the wilderness, we go, ah, of course, this is, uh, this is Yochanan, Yochanan, this is John mm-hmm. in the desert. And then I think, well, who would be, if I'm thinking the text, uh, a female messenger of a, of a new regime in my head goes, oh my goodness, is this, is this Mary, is this Mary Magdalene running mm-hmm. to proclaim what has happened? Right. Um, uh, and I mean, even just in the context of Isaiah 40 itself, um, you know, Yerushalayim is often characterized uh, it, uh, as a as a woman personified right. in the feminine. Right. And what I love about this too that I I I didn't even really start considering until hearing Brent like read it and hearing it like as a like audibly as a text. Mm-hmm. But the um, like the chapter starts with you know, comfort my people, you speak to Jerusalem, but then now it is Zion and Jerusalem becoming the messenger. And, 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 you know, honestly, even just with what you shared uh, earlier this episode about the role of women as, as bards, as the ones um, mm-hmm. kind of knitting together history as it's happening, commemorating it in songs and histories that they pass on to their children as they're instructing them right. uh, like that man, there's, there's, like I said, so many implications because you can go in that bigger sense of, of God's people of, you know, Mm -hmm. even in the new Testament sense, the, the church as a bride. Right. Um, but then, yeah, like in the, in the person of Mary Magdalene, I see like, there's a real strong connection to identify her with that, I think. Yeah. I think that's a great, uh, fulfillment line to, to, 
bring mm-hmm. bring out. But yeah, it's in this michut form, which we talked about last week when we talked about Kohelet. Um, and it's it's definitely if you change bring good tidings into a title like Herald, it's definitely Herald of Zion um, and mm-hmm. Herald of Yerushalayim. So it's, you know, um different than like daughter of Zion to me anyway, because to me, daughter of Zion is like, Oh yeah, this kind of archetypal um, image of God's people as a bride. Right. But instead it's like prophet of Zion, (laughs) right. It's Herald of Zion. That's a good point. Preacher of Zion. That's really good. It's different um, than, than just an archetypal thing. Not that archetypes are bad. We love some archetypes. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. That is, that is a, a, a distinct way of a, of addressing it. And it does, it does seem to like it in the same way that the voice crying out seem like has the, uh, the sense of being a, a singular figure. Yeah. That, right. Absolutely. The, this messenger is also her own singular figure. Right. Right. A uh, little goody from the NET footnotes. It says that in Isaiah 41 and 52, there's a herald who is sent to Zion. Mm-hmm. And in those cases, it's the masculine singular. But then here, where it's the feminine singular, Zion is addressed as a herald. That's one way of painting it that, uh, you know, it's a little bit, in my opinion, which, of course, I'm aware of my own biases here. Uh, but it seems to be a little bit trying to paint out paint out what's going on. Um, sure. I definitely agree that it's not like every herald in the text is actually feminine. We've just missed it this whole time. I think it <laughs> is specifically in this verse, but I think the original recipients, right, if there's not a big explanation as to why they're female, that leads me to believe that mm-hmm. uh, it was something that would not like knock their socks off of like, what? A female mm-hmm. herald? Um <laughs> And so yeah. that tells me something about women's roles in Tanakh. Well, I guess what I was asking is there is there something to the idea of a herald being sent to Zion versus Zion being the herald, being pictured as the herald or whatever? Oh, um, I still think it's, I don't think it's describing Jerusalem as a herald. It's not telling Jerusalem, go and tell Jerusalem, right? Mm. Because it says, <laughs> speak upon the heart of Jerusalem in verse two. Okay. So it's not Jerusalem. Just tell yourself some nice things. Yeah. And even in verse nine, it's, you know, say to the cities of Yehuda, which is if Jerusalem is this, you know, catch all for the people of Israel, then again, yeah. Talk to yourself about this. <laughs> doesn't make a lot of sense. All right. Swing and a miss for the NET. Love it. <laughs> I, you know, make a spreadsheet. <laughs> it would, no, wins and losses too too big of a spreadsheet yeah <laughs> it's yeah it's just one of those things where it's surprising how how much it nails it in some instances and how it just totally misses the mark in others so this is this is why we have so many resources there we go i have one more question and it it might be totally taking away but i do see earlier you know just up in verse five and six talking about that that um that word for messenger bizarre like we have two mentions of flesh and i believe both of them use that Mm -hmm. same word do you think there is some interplay there in the text um i think it's probably a poetic uh repetition um Mm -hmm. uh that we have so yeah all flesh together Um, Everyone shall see it. And then it's saying, so if all the flesh shall see that this is true, that Yahweh has spoken, and then it's followed up by, um, by saying, speak to that flesh, right? Because that's the image behind Harold is someone bringing life to flesh. So it's kind of like the follow through. Yeah. And and the closer I look at it too, because the use between five and six are kind of opposite. Uh, What you just quoted, you know, all flesh will see the, this revealed glory of God. And then after that, the voice calling out says all flesh is grass, like this right. tension between us being alive and being uh, aware of the revealed presence of God, but then also knowing that, you know, we're finite, we're temporary and have our own biases and all that other stuff. Right. And then this idea of, you know, you need to be the messenger because of that, because right. you've seen something, you've experienced something and, you know, you have to pass it along, which again seems to 
to really resonate with that. Not that Sila, you know, how are you telling the story right. as you pass it forward? Right. I love it. That's so good. Thanks, guys. Is that the end? Yeah. I mean, we're going to see this walked out more next week. Marty is going to return. Um, if you're worried, you know, get someone in here to rein in this situation. <laughs> Marty will be here. Um, so that's next week's episode. And we we have some exciting figures to look at together. So I'm mm. stoked. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, it was a pleasure getting the two of you together uh, to discuss this and and man, I I feel like we came up with more episode, future episode ideas out of this conversation. <laughs> I know. Our Bama this... teaching team retreat is going to be this just all the time. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Many plans to come, many episodes to come. There's, once again, clearly no shortage of things to discuss and details to pry apart. And yeah. Yeah. Nectar. I love it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, uh, let's see. We get we get a hold of L by emailing her. We sure do. Lgroverfricks at gmail.com. <laughs> mm-hmm. We get a hold of Josh. Let's just let's just do all emails this time. Okay. Josh sure. is midrosh josh at gmail.com. What a brand. Oh man. I love it. So <laughs> that much. was a that's a Brent Billings original. That is not my idea. All <laughs> credit to Brent. Great. Well, it, well, it took well, some work, but once once we came up with that, it was clear that that was the answer. <laughs> and then I am Bama co-host at gmail.com. There we go. It's a great, uh, you know, keeping it simple for me. All right. Well, uh, that does it for this week. Thanks for joining us on the Baymaw podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.